Jesus. Jesus Christ. Those were words which were not uttered in the churches where I grew up. And I was a faithful church goer. My folks had me in church every Sunday morning and every Wednesday evening when I was in a youth group member. I went to church. That was an important thing. My family emphasized that. But I did not hear the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Those words were not uttered in combination. And God was used, the word itself, in a rather vague, generalized way for us to relate to him. It was a dead church. It really was. This is a name, Jesus, Jesus Christ, who is uttered frequently in our church and should be uttered frequently in any Bible-believing church. So I can't think of a better place to start than to say the first word out of the chutes than Jesus Christ. He is your focus today, and he's the focus of this message. I was given the rather daunting task of summarizing the first 12 chapters of uh, John. And uh, for those of you who know me, I don't lack in words, and there's a lot of meat in there. And for these men who had preached already, Nick, Thomas, certainly Dave, Dave uh, Mark Doss, uh, last week, there's so much that can be said about all those chapters. I'm actually going to be pretty economical with my words today. It's a rather remarkable thing. I hope that I'm going to be able to pull off today to pull out what I have learned through the preaching uh, of these fine men in this fine book. I can't think of a better book in the Bible to focus our attention on Jesus Christ than the book of John. I, I'm an overachiever. Before I even heard this sermon series that started in January, I went and I read the whole book of John and I paraphrased the whole book of John myself. I, in this folder, I have a full paraphrase in my own words, hopefully staying close to the original meaning of the text as to how I had made sense of it, and I drew applications to it. Long and lengthy notes that only I can read, but hopefully someday my children would want to look at and say, that's what he believed about John? That's what he learned from the book of John? In this book, too, I have every sermon note. I have every uh, email letter that was sent out the week of that sermon, because I think it's really good to think in a body of, of knowledge and how important the messages have been in the book of John. So we're halfway through. Can you believe it? We're about halfway through, a little bit over, our study of the book of John. And I'm really pleased to share my impressions. But before I do that, I've got to pray. So that's the first thing we should do. Father in heaven, it is a privilege to open up your word, and I do not take it lightly. Lord, may these words that you deliver through my mouth be your words, not my word. May it not be about me, Lord. It's not about drawing attention to some clever uh, platitudes or ideas that I have, but Lord, to the truth that you'd like to speak through me today. Lord, I am right in sync with what Nick just said, that uh, we should be in anticipation for how you're going to work in our hearts, in our minds today, through the book of John, through these first 12 chapters, in the unique way that you have wired me as a person, and in the u unique words that you're going to give in my mind. Lord, help me to be open to the leading of your Holy Spirit at times when I need to speak your words, and I didn't anticipate speaking those particular words. And help me be true to the scriptures, to the word of God, your word, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, we've said this repeatedly to you. Uh, John 1, verses 1 through 18 was the prologue of John. 
a wonderful passage of Scripture that sets the tone for what John's trying to accomplish in this gospel. Uh, there was heretical teaching that was taking place at this time, and John was basically saying, I was with Jesus, here is Jesus, he was with God from the beginning, I want to teach you about this Jesus that I knew and I did life with. John 1.19, then through the end of the 12th chapter, is known as the book of signs, as you've heard several of the men who have preached uh, talk about the, the, the wonders, the miracles, uh, the most recent of which that we studied, the resurrection of Lazarus, the most amazing of his uh, healings, obviously, to raise a man from death to life. Uh, these were the book of signs. We've got to remember that John was a very distinct and unique disciple. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. You read the word and you know that John is referring to himself in that way. Jesus loved John. He was in the inner circle of the disciples. disciples. There were 12, but he and a, just a, a handful of them were the ones that did life the closest with Jesus. And he understood, I think, Jesus better than any other disciple. We understand the purpose of John based on what Jerry read to us. And it's back up on the screen, as a matter of fact. Uh, again, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. That alone is a pretty amazing thing. At the end of this book, he's going to say, you know, if we wrote down everything that Jesus did, there's not enough room in the world for all the libraries of the things that he performed on this earth. There are other signs that he did, and that's remarkable for us to even consider. But they were put down in this book that John wrote for two purposes. Number one, that you will believe in Jesus, that you will believe he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he did walk this earth, that he was fully God, that he was fully human. And by believing that, you will have life. Go back, would you please? Go back. You will have life in his name. I'm going to hammer on that point pretty hard from the things that I've taken away from John during this first 12 uh, chapters. So the bee of blossom. Nobody, Nick didn't talk about blossom today, but I want to hammer a little bit on blossom because it only makes sense that the bee of blossom today is a point of emphasis and a focus of ours. We believe. We believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus not just through intellectual assent. Yes, people said he was the son of God. I believe that. But we also believe in our heart that he is the Christ. We believe in Jesus and his power and his power to save. That the, the perfect rescue mission was executed. No pun intended, but that's exactly what happened. He was executed in a mission that saved each one of us who declare him Lord and Savior of our lives today. If you declare Christ as your Lord today, then he fulfilled that mission for you. You have eternal life as a result. And that's why you have to believe beyond just the intellect of it. It's often said that the, the furthest distance to travel is between that 18 inches between the brain and the heart for the person who has to believe in Jesus Christ. And I believe that's probably true. Again, some other words that I'm going to use here today probably will convince you more that way. Some say, I can't believe. Some say, I can't believe. I've had interactions with people who, when Jesus is presented to them, they will actually, in so many words, come back and say, I can't believe. And that's obviously the title of this message that I put in the outline. You're going to see another reason why I titled it this way, too. I don't really believe that that's true. I, I can't believe that somebody can say, I can't believe with all intellectual honesty. What they're really saying is this, I won't believe. I won't believe. Essentially, they're not willing to give up their own will, their own life, their own purposes to live for Jesus. 
So essentially, they're not saying, I can't believe. They're saying, I won't believe. You know, it's not hard for me to imagine that, is it? Because there's a lot of false idols and ideologies that are out there. There are so many worldviews that are competing for our minds. You go watch TV, movies, the internet. Stuff's out there that wants to capture you. It wants to capture your heart. But all that stuff, those are idols. They're capturing your heart for all the wrong reasons, and they're all empty. They're all false imitations to the one true God, Jesus Christ, who needs to capture your heart. You know, I'm not going to judge other people in that regard either, because it took me 36 years to come to the Lord. So if you're sitting in this audience today, and you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't believe in him as the Savior of your life, this message is for you. If it's even one person here today, and I'm not going to try through compulsion to convince somebody to believe in Jesus Christ, Right? That doesn't happen very often, actually, through messages, but it can happen. I don't dispute that it can't. It can happen today. We need to believe. I love what Mark did last week, both biblically and rhetorically. He asked a series of three questions, essentially. First question was, should we believe? Should you believe? Well, you know my bias. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely you should believe. You have Jesus. You have eternal life. Game's not over at the, well, the game's not over at any time. Your life ends, this human life that you have, yes, your human existence is over. But you're going to live for eternity. You're either going to live with eternity with Satan in hell, or you're going to live for eternity with Jesus in heaven. So do I think you should believe? There's no question in my mind that I think you should believe. Next question he asks, can you believe? Well, any of us is capable. Certainly we can believe. Again, I believe you can believe, and I hope that you can believe. And I hope that everyone in this audience, including the children in this audience, there are children here that are coloring or they're engaged in some activity, but I don't believe that the Word of God ever falls on deaf ears. I believe that the Word of God, as it speaks through people who come before the body of Christ, can speak to children right now. Perhaps there are children here today that for the first time will have a true and full understanding, and and they want to believe. The last question is the most important question. Do you believe? And I can't answer that question. I can only answer that for myself. I do believe. And coming to the Lord as a 36-year-old man, I have a very mature understanding of my salvation. Some of you grew up in a home where you never didn't know Jesus. That's a terrible double negative. That's poor English on my part as an English major, but that's how it is. That's what came out. You've never not known Jesus your whole life. You've grown up in a Christian home. You went to a strong Bible-believing church. It was a Christian church. You maybe even went to a Christian school. You had it preached at you, harped at you, time in and time out. You don't know a time when you didn't know Jesus. That's a better way of saying it, a little bit more grammatically. Maybe you've drifted away a little bit. Maybe you've taken him for granted. Maybe you really haven't truly thought about this whole intellectual and emotional ascent and belief and submission to Christ in this way that I did when I was a 36-year-old man. More on that later. Will you believe? That's the question. Do you believe? So let me talk about some of my reflections on John chapters 1 through 12. Here are the things that really stood out for me as these people were preaching through uh, the first part of this gospel. First of all, Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. I I just love the opening of John uh, chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He's talking, John is talking about Jesus. Jesus was with God from the beginning. Dave mentioned that when he was setting up communion. 
There was never a time that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit were not together. They were in perfect community. They didn't need any of us. He didn't have to create human beings. He did. He could have perfectly existed. He, he, he. The Godhead, three in one, in community. He's the Word, the Word of God, Jesus, the truth. Second thing, Jesus is God. You've got to believe that Jesus is God. Fully God, fully human on this earth. He said on several occasions, if you see me, you see the Father. I do what the Father tells me to do. I think the way the Father directs me to think. I abide in the Father. I am in such close relationship with the Father, I only do what's within His will. Not my will, but the Father's will to be done. Another thing that I've learned, Jesus is love. It sounds like a very corny platitude, but don't ever take it as trite. Jesus is love. And He's the personification, the embodiment of it. Every action that He took showed love. He lived out a life of love. Dave even coined a new word. Do you remember the word? Love duplication. It was hard for me to even say the first time. I'm not sure I want to say it again. It's not a word. It's nonsensical, but it was a good way. I didn't forget. Jesus' love basically multiplies the kingdom. The kind of love that Jesus calls us to is a supernatural love. We're good at love like when we like people to love and We're good at love on special occasions or when we're feeling good and we want to give love. But this kind of love that Jesus gives is the kind of love that he can give from the cross that says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. He is loving them. He's praying for the people who are killing him. That is love. Love can multiply the kingdom. A story to illustrate that. A Salvation Army worker found a derelict woman alone on the street and invited her to come into the chapel for help. But the, but the woman refused to move. The worker assured her, we love you and want to help you. God loves you. Jesus died for you. But the woman did not budge. As if on a divine impulse, the Salvation Army worker leaned over and kissed the woman on the cheek, taking her into her arms. The woman began to sob, and like a child was led into the chapel where she ultimately trusted Christ. This is what the woman said about that, the woman who came to the Lord on that day. You told me that God loved me, she said later, but it wasn't until you showed me that God loved me that I wanted to be saved. I can stand on a street corner and I can preach Jesus Christ with the best of them. I can get worked up. I have a lot of enthusiasm for Jesus Christ. Christ has given me passion for him, for my relationship with him, for telling other people about him. But unless I show the love and not just preach about the love, it's just a clanging symbol. It's an empty message. D.L. Uh, Moody said this. It's going to be on the screen. Every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. It's kind of a cool way of thinking about it. Every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. No, in other words, where the rubber hits the road, when you get out on the streets and you show the love of Christ, that's where people understand. Warren Worsby said this. It's going to pop up on the screen too. We show our love to God not by empty words, but by willing works. We are not slaves obeying a master. We are children obeying a father. Father God has called us to go and love. As such, when our dad, I remember my dad, he was 6'3", 250 at his height. 
of his existence. He's not quite, he's a little bit of a shadow of himself now. He's still alive today. And I, I would probably mess with him today because he's 77, but I didn't mess with him then. He said something. This is the law. He was a very just father too. I did it. I obeyed. And if I didn't obey, what did I get? I got the belt, the sorority paddle, or his hand upside my backside. And I had it coming every single time. Father God, obey him. It's important. Very important. There's a book that's been written fairly recently called Simple Church. I think sometimes we make church way too complicated. Isn't Christianity just a little bit too complex for some of us? Some churches just, they, they go in streams and streams and streams of, of uh, preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ and such. And I'm not disputing that there aren't some really good things that are, that are preached in that name. But let's simplify things. Simple Church says this. This is what the body of Christ should do. Love Jesus. Love others. Serve the world. Pretty simple. Love Jesus. Love others around you. And don't just talk about it. Go out and love them. In sometimes very sacrificial ways, and that's the best kind of love to give, and serve the world. Our love multiplies the kingdom of God. Here's another truth of John chapters 1 through 12. Invest in your relationship with Jesus. Now, to be a little bit transparent here, uh, probably my wife would be a little squirm a little bit here, but I won't make her squirm too much. Uh, I've been really busy lately. At the start of a school year, I'm a school superintendent, for those of you who don't know. Uh, busy time, getting launched in, and I'm a person who loves to go out and do things for the body of Christ, and I love to go preach the word of Jesus, and I love to help other educators, so it's been a busy season of preparation, and I haven't invested my relationship with my wife as much as I should, so if I don't invest in in our relationship, can I expect that we're going to have some difficulties? Yes. No, No major things, you know, I'm not confessing huge sin here in front of everybody, but I'm confessing to you that I need to invest and pour more into my daughters and my wife so that those relationships don't get cold. They need to be warm and hot because Jesus calls me, my first ministry, to be to my wife as her husband, to my daughters, one in particular. I've, the one is left and cleaved, but she's still my daughter, and I love her, and I need to invest in that relationship. If I don't, it won't be a good relationship. In the same way that my relationship with Jesus will not be a good relationship unless I invest in it. So invest in your relationship with Jesus. Another point. Follow Jesus. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Jesus said, follow me. Very memorable words from Scripture. Follow me. And you know what those disciples did, those first disciples? Do you remember the phrases that are used in the way that they're described as following him? At once, immediately, they followed him. They saw there was a power. I believe it was probably the direction of the Holy Spirit, too. They sensed uh, beyond just his teaching that there was something very special about this man, Jesus. So follow him. Anybody who has a great leader needs to follow the leader at once. Next point, I think, that I get from John chapters 1 through 12. We need to obey. Jesus said in the great commission that we were to go make disciples baptize them and then teach them to obey everything that he commanded well the discipler is not a very good discipler unless he is also obeying unless she is also obeying correct you cannot disciple your children that's your first and most important discipling that you have in your family you cannot disciple other people who need to come to a saving faith in jesus christ unless you too 
are following and obeying what Jesus' commands were. I'm not a gambler. Those of you who know me well know that I'm one of the most ardent anti-gambling people imaginable. In fact, I get almost self-righteous about it. I'm, I'm probably to the right of Tom Coates. Those of you who know Tom Coates, I'm way over to the right of Tom Coates. I think we ought to eliminate gambling completely from the state of Iowa. Every aspect of gambling, but now I'm not going to get political and I'm not going to get worked up about that. But I do like the phrase from some type of a poker game when you play. And I don't play poker. I'm all in. I'm all in. Has this been explained to me? Yeah, you're all in. All the money's on the table. You're going for it. That's it. You're putting all the stakes right there on the table. That's the way we need to be with Jesus. Pardon me for using even a gambling metaphor to, to bring that to you. But that's how we should be all in. We need to walk in the light and follow the example of Jesus, certainly. We need to abide in him just as he abided in the Father and did the Father's work. You're not working to earn favor from God nor to gain entrance into heaven. The gift of salvation is free. And our work for God is an outgrowth of our appreciation to God for his saving power. Faith without works is dead and faith in and of itself is not enough. Your testimony must not end at the point of your salvation. I know a lot of people who claim a saving faith in Jesus Christ... And if you ask them, what's, Je- what's Jesus doing in your life today? They can't say. There was a teacher that works in the school where I work. It's a Christian school. So you can say these things openly there. What's Christ doing in your life today? And you know, he asked it to me about every week. And so I'm the leader of the school. I better be prepared for an answer, right? I can't just drift through the Christian life and not have an answer to that. I got to be in the word of God. I got to have a healthy prayer life. I got to be sharpening iron and being sharpened by other men that would lead me in the direction to be a great disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to end at the point of your salvation. Another point that Nick preached beautifully this morning, and I'm not going to have to go into as much length, is this. Hate sin. Hate sin. God hates sin. A holy and righteous God cannot suffer sin. Sin cannot even be in the presence of a holy and righteous God. He hates sin. So we need to hate sin as much as God hates sin. And how do we do that? The next point that I'm going to make based in John chapters 1 through 12, hate your own sin. We don't do that very well. We push the boundaries way out. I'm going to give myself a little latitude here. I'm going to justify. I'm going to rationalize these things that I'm doing that I even know are sinful because it makes me feel good. Because I feel like I need to satisfy myself because it's all about me. No, it's not all about you. It's all about God. It's not about you at all. Your life is not your own. You need to kill your life. I like that. Wanted dead and alive. You kill your life. And you take on the image of Jesus Christ. You bring on the life of Christ. You are created uniquely. So you have a unique personality that will serve Christ as only you can serve Christ. But still, as Jesus is the primary personality that should be coming out through you as you show the love of Christ and the joy that can only come through Christ. So hate your own sin. So take that plank out of your eye before you try to pick that speck out of your brother's eye. I'm, I'm just saying that to me as much as I'm saying it to you because I'm as guilty as this, of this as the next. Another point, be a healer. What do I mean by that? Jesus was a healer, wasn't he? Yeah, that's central to his ministry. You know, our life group just finished studying this book, The Healing Reawakening. 
it really opened my eyes to some things that I had never considered before. You think about what Jesus did. You know, up until this point of this chapter, he, he committed numerous healings. Physical healings and spiritual deliverance. Somehow in the history of, our, of Christianity, we've lost track of this. There are secessionists that are out there telling us that it can't happen. But I believe that it can happen. Will it happen on all occasions when we pray for healing? No. But can it happen? Will it happen on some occasions when we pray? Yes. We can't come to the Lord and say with this disclaimer, if it's within your will, Lord, heal somebody. We have to come with true faith to say, Lord, heal Leon. Heal whoever. Heal these people physically. But I think Jesus cared as much about the spiritual healing as he did the the physical healing. Make us whole spiritually. Uh, The man they lowered down through the roof, remember those guys that had such faith? They believed that Jesus could heal, and he did. Jesus did heal this man. And he said, which is more difficult, to, to forgive sin or to heal physically? Well, nothing was impossible for Jesus, so he could do either. But the more important thing, I think, to Jesus was that this man had a spiritual life together as well. So be a healer. And Jesus healed out of love. That's the kind of love we should bring as we minister to each other. Another point, seek obedience. Excuse me, abundance. Can't even read my own writing. I know some of you have seen my writing. can believe that. Seek abundance. We should seek abundance, not happiness. Joey, what's happening, brother? You can go right in there. No big deal. Happiness is not what we seek. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances so often. Abundance is the life that Jesus has called us to. We should seek abundance, not happiness. Another point. Jesus is life. Jesus is life. He is the life, isn't he? He said, I'm the life. He's the life to me. You heard me say that I went through that dead, those, those dead churches. I was even an, an elder in a mainline denomination church in my 20s, and I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I should have never been allowed to be an elder. That, that, that's not biblical. But at 36, after I got involved in Bible study for the first time in my life, where I actually studied the Bible, a small group, another pitch for life group, get in a life group, do life together with people. When I went to Cross Trainers, which is a men's ministry, at which I now teach, ironically enough, and I went to my first Promise Keepers in Boulder, Colorado. You were in that, you were at that Promise Keepers, yeah. That's awesome. 1994, all of those things came together. I realized, yeah, hey, it's a pretty good guy, but there was an emptiness that could only be filled with Jesus, and I praised Jesus that I accepted him that he elected me into his kingdom, that I know him as Lord and Savior now. Jesus is life. Does it mean my life is perfect? No, I struggle. I have difficulties. I'm messed up. I mess up relationships. I do it all the time. But you know, I'm grateful to Jesus. I'm still grateful in spite of the ways that I mess up. And I try to show mercy to others. That's my next point. Show mercy to others. I need to, me- I need to love messed up people. Because I'm a messed up people. And I want you to love me, even when you see that I'm messed up. Would you please? I'll return the favor. And if I'm messed up, tell me how I'm messed up in the most loving and kind way so that I can get on the track again and look more like Jesus, not like Bob. We really struggle with this idea of loving messed up people. C.S. Lewis said this. This is a great quote I came across just in the last couple weeks. It's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity 
with a capital H than to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Isn't that true? It is so true. Now, those adjectives that he uses up there, it shows a little bit of his own self-absorption, doesn't he? You know, who am I to judge whether somebody is unattractive, exasperating, uninteresting, or depraved? I guess maybe I can, do, I can judge depravity. I can see depravity. Well, who am I to say that my wife is uninteresting? I'm going to use you because I don't want to point at anybody else because they might think that I believe that, that about them. And I don't believe this about you either, dear. You're uninteresting. That's horrible. She's anything but uninteresting. But from my perspective, if I declare her to be uninteresting, it shows my own frailty, my own sin that way. Who am I to judge that? I am not to judge. I'm only to love. I'm only to love. The well-known Methodist circuit preacher, John Wesley, understood what it meant to love to pray people. He was stopped one night by a highwayman who robbed him of all his money. Wesley said to the man, if the day should come that you desire to leave this evil way and live for God, remember that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. Could you imagine? I mean, this guy robs him and he gets the sermon. It's very unique. I mean, it's a very ironic way that Wesley witnessed this guy. Some years later, Wesley was stopped by a man after a church service. Do you remember me? The man said, I robbed you one night. and You told me that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. I have trusted Christ, and he has changed my life. Wow. You never know how God's going to work. That's just an amazing story to me. We're all messed up people. Some of us are just more messed up than others. That's the bottom line. Remember, we are the church of the scum of the earth. If you can remember back in another sermon series, Davis called us whores when he taught through Hosea, and he called us the scum of the earth one day. Remember? One Sunday? You know, we have to take this heart set mindset of humility and brokenness before the Lord. And we need to show mercy to others in the same way that God has shown mercy to us. Wow, I got two minutes and I got five pages. How can that be possible? I got to land the plane. Think about Charles Spurgeon. Practical action that we need to show in response to God's love. Has anyone offended you? Then seek reconciliation, Spurgeon said. Oh, but I am the offended party. So was God. And he went straight away and sought reconciliation. Brother, do the same. I can just hear Spurgeon preaching this. Brother, do the same. Oh, but I have been insulted. Just so, so was God. All the wrong was toward him. Yet he sent. It's a very cool rhetorical phrase. Yet he sent. He didn't have to say the rest of it, did he? We know what he meant. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. And those who believe in him... And have faith in, his, in him and his name will have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. Oh, but the party is so unworthy. So are you. But God so loved you and sent his son. Go write according to that copy. That's a great phrase. Go write according to that copy. In the same way that Jesus Christ lived his life, go write according to that copy and live your life that way too. Another thing you need to do is multiply the kingdom of God. And, and don't be surprised. Some will follow, some will be ambivalent, some will be downright offended and angry about it. So be it. If you speak the truth in love and witness for Christ in a winsome way, you leave it at the foot of the cross. You leave it for Jesus to determine how he's going to act in that, how God's going to work in the life of that person. At some point, that person may come to saving faith in Christ. 
So again, I, I say to you, can you believe all these truths which I've stated to you today? Most certainly you can believe. The question again, though, is still, will you believe these things? So think ahead now. I think we're going to take about a month-long hiatus. We're going to give you a little bit of a break from John. So Dave's coming back, and he'll preach next Sunday. And we're going to do a four-part series on something related to the church, the body of Christ, how people in the body of Christ relate to each other in that way. Will you be expectant about how he's going to work through you in this four weeks and then the remaining part of John? I hope you will be. And will you come? Will you commit to coming? Now, I know this church, the people that come generally are are more than C&E Christians. They're not just Christmas and Easter Christians. That you're here regularly. And I'm not going to get legalistic to say you've got to come every single time or you're not a real Christian. That's not, don't hear that message. But I think in our commitment to the body of Christ, the people we're in fellowship with and community with, we, des- we need to pour our lives into each other. We need to be here for each other on Sunday mornings to receive the exhortations from Dave and to do fellowship together. I think that's what happens in the body of Christ. John chapters 13 through 21 include the book of glory. Mark tried to plant me last week. He said I should be preaching on the glory of God. And essentially every week we preach on the glory of God. I didn't go that route. But we're going to look at the book of glory. We're going to look at the last week of Jesus' life and how well he taught and how well he lived because the epilogue, John 21, is basically the, the end of the biography of a human life that was extremely well lived. Jesus, I am... Awesome statements. They come up on the screen again to you. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life, the true vine. That's Jesus. So my last two points that I get from John in total, but especially from John 1 through 12, is this. You need to look like Christ. We need to look like Christ. Every day it seems to resonate with me. Romans 8, 29 that we are conformed to the likeness of the Son, that we would look more like Jesus every day. Here's a good way of of looking at that from a commentator by the name of Poole. It's going to pop on your screen. When someone is born of someone else, there's always a family resemblance. You say, hey, look look at her. She has her mother's eyes or his father's nose. Well, the children of God have a family resemblance to their father in heaven. He is righteous. So those who are born of him also practice righteousness. God hath no children destitute of his image, or who resemble him not. Kind of a fancy way at the end of saying, hey, if you're claiming Jesus as your Lord, you're going to look like him. You're going to resemble him. You're not going to be destitute of his image. And finally, love Christ. Love Christ. Charles Spurgeon preached five remarkable sermons on eight words from 1 John. We love him because he first loved us. In one of those sermons, and this is how I want to close, he said this, Look through all the pages of history and put to the noblest men and women who seem to still live this question. Who loves Christ? And from the fiery stake where they clapped their hands as they were being burned to death, the same answer comes. We love him. If you could walk through the miles of catacombs at Rome and if the holy dead whose dust lies there could suddenly wake up, they would all say, we love him. The best and the bravest men, the noblest and purest of women, have all been in the glorious company. So, surely, you are not ashamed to come forward and say, put my name down among them. Be out and out for him. Unfurl your colors. Never hide them. But nail them to the mast. And say to all who ridicule the saints, 
If you have all ill world words for the followers of Christ, pour them onto me, but know this, ye shall hear it whether you like it or not. I love Christ. I love Christ. That's how I live in my world. You know me, Mr. Enthusiasm, Mr. Exclamation Point. I'm sorry if I'm that way, but I'm not going to apologize for it. I love Christ. And that's the way you should live your life every single day. With those exclamation points saying, I love Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to take stock today as to how enthusiastic we should be about that statement. It's easy for me to stand up in front of an audience today since I've been given the task, Lord, of preaching to these people to try to exhort them to to try to inspire them through the power of your Holy Spirit to love you, Lord. But what about my life? What about on any given day, on a week where I'm distracted or busy or troubled or frustrated or anxious or even fearful? Lord, do I say those words at that time? I love Christ. No matter what the difficulties are, now, whatever the challenge may be, Lord, help me say, I love Christ. Every day, every moment of every day, Lord, help us say, I love Christ. And to live our lives as an outgrowth for that truth of a saving faith through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. And all God's people agreed and said, amen, amen. amen.